Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finawa of Tifanganuiatara, where I'm recording today. So, are you feeling better because you were sick this week? I am feeling better. Um, yeah, it's actually quite good. I think I timed it well taking sick leave because there was that moment where I'm like, I could push through, but I feel like if I take the time, then I won't be as sick. Mm. So, I think I, I nailed that. And you, you poor thing, still in lockdown. Still in lockdown, in lockdown for the foreseeable future. Uh, It's okay. I like living in my house and I like all of the things I have to do. But, you know, I think a lot of people are not as well adjusted as me. (laughs) So they're Mm. really struggling. I find myself trying to support everybody all of the time and that's hard. But, you know, I had a couple nights this week where I didn't wear socks to bed. So the weather is turning, which is always exciting. amazing. Can't relate. (laughs) When we were talking about, I was taking the electric blankets off the bed, and you're like, oh, mine are on your round. I'm like, oh, what's that like? <laughs> I have to. Like, I get too cold at night, and if, I, you know, it's the middle of summer, but it could still just be eight degrees outside. I need to be able to warm myself up. Look, I honestly think that that's a really good way of doing it, is you turn the bed on for, like, 15 minutes, and then you get in, mm-hmm. and it's warm. It doesn't have to be out all night, but, like, just taking the edge off is so important. Yeah, and then I don't have to, like, feel like I have to heat my house, because my bed is warm, so I just get in bed. Bed is where it's at. And also, you, everything's better in bed. Reading. Yeah. Drinking tea. The best. Watching Harry Potter. All of things. Did you have a moment of wonder this week? I did. I was, I'm getting ready to move all of my sewing stuff into the bedroom. So I was noodling around and then I remembered that there was a Star Wars fan picture that I really loved, like an edit, Mm. a graphic edit. And then I was like, I'm, I loved the colors. I'm going to pull that fabric stack while I'm like in my fabric stacks. And I pulled the fabric stack and it looks so cute. I've decided to turn it into a quilt. So that was like just really nice. Like I haven't done that because my sewing area is just not accessible or friendly. It's been Mm. really hard to sit and sew. Um, So I just decided I'm going to put it somewhere I'll use it, which is in my bedroom. And so my moment of wonder was that I feel a little bit more inspiration to get back to something I really love doing. Yay. Love that. Love being inspired. Yeah. How about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Um, yeah, I, I've like had a really mixed bag of a week being sick and then the week was just really long. But yesterday I finished a project at work that I've been procrastinating on for like two weeks. So it just felt really great to get that out of the way mm. and then just have the weekend and don't have that hanging over me. Because, you know, over the past few weekends I've been sitting here being like, oh, I should probably work on that project, you know, just because I need to get it done. But anyway, it's done. So, yeah, this morning I had a really peaceful morning. Yay. I finished all my chores really early and then I went for a walk and I got some chocolate biscuits and then I read in the five minutes of sun that we had today and had my tea and biscuits. And it was just really, really delightful. And I did some gardening and I just felt really accomplished. So, yeah, bliss. That's like a perfect morning. Mm, felt really great. I just felt really in control, which is something I haven't felt for a while. So yeah. it was nice to get that back. I get you. I love that. What are you reading? I am reading An Enchantment of Ravens. <gasps> Yay! Which I love. Isn't it so good? I love Rook. Surprise! But I love him so much. But the whole story is just so great. And I think she's such an underrated writer. It's Margaret Rogerson, isn't it? But like in terms of getting good fantasy standalone, that's really hard to find these days. Mm. I read that one first. And then the second one I read, I loved as well. 
She's got two out and she has another one coming. But they're all standalones. Yeah, same. More standalones. Yeah. And also it's a job well done because this main character is all about being a master of her craft and mm-hmm. I'm here for that, mm-hmm. you know? It's just so fulfilling. She's just so in control and talented and amazing and all of it's great. I'm so glad you're liking it. Yay. Yeah, I reckon I'll finish it tonight. I'm about three quarters of the way through. So yeah. Sounds like a perfect way to cap off a lovely, partially sunny Saturday. Hmm. This week, we're reading chapters 21 to 24 through the theme of openness. Did you have a story for us? I do, in like all my stories. I'm sorry that it's sad, Zach. Oh, no. (laughs) I thought a long time about it. I was really unsure about whether to tell it. But when I first moved to Australia, I had the benefit of a ready-made friend. She is the younger sister of one of my husband's schoolmates. Um, She took me under her wing. She introduced me around. She got me a job where she worked. Um, Yeah, like she just she she came with a ready-made friend group and they were all a bunch of really cool alternative indie kid types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was really nice. She was really exciting and really fun. And I thought we were going to be friends for like our lives. I could see this because, I mean, she was just that kind of person. She was just so open and warm and lovely. So I did tell her some things about what it was like growing up for me. And, you know, the struggles that I'd had. And then she Mm -hmm. betrayed that trust super publicly, humiliated me. And I just like it knocked the wind out of me. So I was like really immediately, obviously stricken. And I was trying to give myself space to go and deal with it privately. But because she knew she'd overstepped, she hounded me to forgive her publicly again. So it was like I couldn't even sort of go and lick my wounds. I had to like forgive her right then. She gave me no time to process what she had done, and there was no reparation. She didn't try and earn back that broken trust. She just wanted to be forgiven and then, like, Mm. move on. But she didn't want to experience any of the actual consequences because they were so uncomfortable. Like, not forgiving Mm. her made her so uncomfortable. So I had to just be magnanimous and give her even more of myself to absolve her feelings. And at the time, I thought this was my own fault. Like, I should have known that you can't just be open with people. People can weaponize the things that hurt you against you. Mm. Like, I should have known. So everyone after that like everyone got surface level Jen. I didn't go deep with anyone anymore and I was like that for a really long time but I was missing out on a lot by not being open like I was losing something precious I was losing the opportunity to connect with people so time and experience and a lot of therapy have helped me to understand that like my openness in itself was not the issue I mean I definitely shouldn't have told that girl those things before I knew she could be trusted with them and like trusted by example not just because I wanted her to be trustworthy Mm. because ultimately it turns out that I didn't want to be thick-skinned um it's not conducive to being a good friend or a good partner or a good parent so I've been trying to learn how to be open and small protective measurable ways and it's slow going but I am working on it you're doing amazing thanks I'm trying yeah it's terrifying it's the most terrifying thing just being honest about how you actually feel right yeah it's the worst it's the worst emotions the literal worst Oh, and there's so many emotions in this little section that we read this week. Holy heck, there are. Do you want to read us some chapter summaries? Sure thing. So, Kath, dreading going back to school, tries to convince her dad to let her stay home. She doesn't decide to stay home, but instead is brave and forces herself to go back to finish out the year. She manages to have a conversation about the unfinished assignment with Professor Piper, and when Levi pops up to apologize, she concedes that she is rooting for him. Which was lovely. I don't think there are many examples of a person owning up to doing a pretty rotten thing and like still asking for a chance that I think I really believe, but I really believe this and I really believe Levi. Yeah, it's a great scene. It's just, 
it's the emotional maturity that he displays in that moment is just so good and that he doesn't ask her necessarily to forgive him just to give him a chance mm. and I, I loved when he says you know are you rooting for me I just need to know if you want me to succeed I think that's such a lovely way to put it because as in your story sometimes people put so much pressure on you to just forgive and forget yeah. and immediately move on and like I've definitely experienced this where I like I can't I can't go back to how we were because there's been real hurt and yeah. I need to process that so absolutely Levi's giving Kath space to get through that which I think is amazing but he's also asking for clarity. He's saying, like, like, is this something that is worth trying? Like, have I messed it up too badly? Yeah. Is there a chance for a chance? Which I love. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is what we should all be doing. Communicating. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Like, our theme of openness is just beautifully mm-hmm. embodied in that scene, I thought. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. And he's honest about what he feels as well. Like, you know, he says it wasn't just a kiss. I really, really like you. You know, all these things. He's honest and he answers all her questions. Like she asks him about Regan. She asks him all these things and he just answers them without stalling or any nonsense. He just answers. And I think that is so underrated and amazing. And I love him. And he he cops to the reason that he said it was just a kiss the first time. He says why. Mm. He's like, I just didn't want to be a jerk. I'm not used to being a jerk. I'm usually Dudley Do-Right. I didn't say like jerk is not in the text. It's a not safe for work word um but yeah so the fact that he's like i didn't want to be that person and here i was being confronted with being that person so i panicked and lied i was like that's actually really big of you to say that and i love that he said no Mm. just because kath always pulls herself up on saying just all the time and she does say i noticed it especially this reading she says just a lot but he was like there's no just in that case no just yeah and I also love that he said the only reason he said it was just a kiss is because he, he thought it would make him look worse if he admitted how much he actually wanted it. The fact that he kissed someone else. <laughs> just, oh, bless him. Yeah, I am a really, my in my feckless youth, I was very much the self-saboteur. So I completely understand Levi in that moment. <sighs> it's like, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. He's being an idiot, but. I have also been the idiot so many times, so Mm. I really got exactly why he did what he did. And it's a really realistic thing, too. Like, he wasn't attached. He was in a low moment where he was feeling really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Alcohol was involved. Yep. You know, he kissed someone who was really into him. I mean, like, really? I think he was just kind of taking advantage of, like, a moment. I think he just felt vulnerable and got kind of stuck. I don't blame him for it at all. Like, I can see how he got there. I don't either, but I'm I, really old. So, like, I can yeah. see how if you're 18 and this is your first serious crush, it would be, like, completely devastating. It's the Roy Kent moment. I wanted to talk about the lack of openness that I saw, because I thought there were a few moments where there was a real lack of openness. Mm. I thought Ren was actually trying to be open with Kath. Like, she began by saying, like, Dad told me. Like, she wanted to mm-hmm. open a conversation about it. And Kath just leaves. Like, she's so done with Ren. And she's done with the conversations. I think there's this moment where she can't look at anything Ren is doing other than to see it being hurtful. So she just accepts that it's hurtful and takes it as hurtful and won't admit it into her anymore. So she's no longer open to discussing anything with Ren because Ren Mm -hmm. has, like, officially crossed that line with her. Um, And that makes me really sad because I think Ren was actually kind of trying in that moment. Yeah, I thought that as well. I thought, you know, Ren wanted to have a conversation about her, Kath not wanting to go back to school. And I thought it was quite extreme that Kath just straight up leaves mm. the, the room. Like, 
that is some A plus avoidance to just be like, I'm removing myself from the situation. That is some Kaz Bricker <laughs> level of avoidance. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. But I also wondered in that whole conversation that, you know, Kath is very open with yeah. art and she has these conversations with him about why she wants to leave. And I wonder, does Kath need to be needed? Because when art says to her, what about Ren? Kath says, she doesn't need me. Yeah. And I wonder if that's not fundamentally what the problem is. She needs to be needed. She feels like art needs her, therefore she feels valued. Yeah. She feels valuable. And it reminds me of this thing I kind of work through in therapy as well, where it's always about what you can do for people, because if you do something for someone, then then mm-hmm. you're valuable to them, you know? Then you matter to them. And if you don't do anything, then no one's going to care yep. about you, right? Like, that's the story you tell yourself. So I wonder if Kath is not in that story as well. Oh, she definitely is. I think it would be really tricky to have a twin because you've had someone your whole life and there's that interdependency. Like you've just always been part of a matched set and it's got to be really weird for her not to be part of that matched set. Like I would feel very unmoored without someone I'd had my whole life, you know? Mm. So I think there's definitely something to, well, I can just be a matched set with dad. Yeah. And she does say to him, doesn't she say, you know, we have a symbiotic relationship. So she's kind of replaced mm-hmm. that connection she has with Ren with her dad. Yeah. And I love how he immediately brought it back and said, speaking of, how's your sister? <laughs> like, mm. oh, right. Yeah. He's, this is the thing with art. Like, he's actually very switched on. He gets, he's a very distractible person, but he actually is really on top of it. He was really open with Kath and telling her that he wouldn't be able to accept if she stayed home because it would mean a lot. It, mm. Like, her, he, he was telling her in no uncertain terms, or your actions will have consequences for me. And I don't think you've thought about that. And that's why he pushes back for her. And I'm really proud of him for doing that because I think as a parent who really likes her kids, I would be like, okay, you can stay home. Mommy will look after you. <laughs> I don't think I would be as tough. I would really struggle with that. Yeah, I love how open he is with her and how willing he is to have that conversation. I was kind of sad when on page 260 you know he says to Kath there is so much that I'm sorry for and so much that scares me and then they get interrupted because mm. Ren comes home and I'm like no I want to know the rest of the story what was Art gonna say where was this gonna go I want him to follow all of his conversations to their conclusion I think he's an incredibly mm. emotionally intelligent person who is battling some serious issues and still manages to like come through repeatedly I also wanted to say I had no idea how long it actually took to get from Omaha to Lincoln. It's only an hour. Oh, okay. That's not far at all. No, it's not. Like, right? I think where you and I lived in Sydney was way further. I was thinking three, four hours. This is clearly like a long term, but no, it's only an hour away. That's not far at all. I think it's great that we actually have Australia as a comparison for American road trips because often people are like, oh, I thought it was so much closer. But for us, we're always like, oh yeah, five hour road. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's fine. Five hours. Totally fine. Look, it's very much the American way to get in a car and drive somewhere. And I think Australians just get on a plane and fly somewhere because all the major cities have airports. And there's not so much in the middle like in the U.S., like Nebraska, which apparently has the same weather patterns as Russia, according to this map I saw this week oh. on Tumblr, which may or may not be factually accurate, but it made me laugh. <laughs> Intriguing. Um, on the topic of art and like the conversation about going back to school, I saw identity in that as well, because it came back to Kath's anxiousness, yeah. right? So she has this anxiety. She says no one likes her, which isn't true, because we have that immediately refuted when Regan calls to talk yes. about a couch, which I loved. But then she also doesn't make a decision to go back to school. She just drives with her dad to drop mm. Ren off. Like, that's the story she tells herself. And then when they stop outside of her building, she's like, oh, okay, one more semester. And that's when she actually, like, has to go through the work. Yeah. And it's this idea of, you know, just making small decisions. Don't think big picture. Just take 
baby steps, small decisions day in, day out. Just make a decision to get up in the morning. Don't think about what you're going to do after that. She might as well. And I was so excited to see it because she's like, I might as well get in the car. I might as well pack up my laptop. I might as well get in the car. You might as well drive me to the dorm. And then she sat there and dealt with it. And she's like, okay, I'm here. I'm just going to be here then. Which is 100% how if you have anxiety, you can get through something. You just have to might as well your way through it. And she does this again when she has to go see Professor Piper about the grade, right? Like she goes, she tries two, three times to go to this hall. And then she just walks in and walks out. I'm like, well, you turned up. And that's just, you know, you just yeah. keep going. And eventually you get to the destination you need to get at. Like, and that's fine. I wasn't expecting to make this much progress. I didn't think I'd actually see her today. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wasn't part I, of the plan. I often have to do scary things on the impulse. So I get this, right? Like you just say, I'm going to go and do it. And then you don't allow yourself to think about it until you're actually doing it. And that's how when I had like the worst mm. of my anxiety was just impulse doing like I just turned it into an impulse that needed to be like it's something that needed to be done but if I thought about it or had any time at all to like prepare for it it's like a scary doctor's appointment I couldn't do it if I had too much build up but if you just make a plan and then go for it right yeah. away it's so much easier it's so fascinating like the way anxiety just makes your brain behave strangely but then we saw the flip side of that because she has that conversation with herself basically where she says she can't control whether she saw Levi on campus but she could worry about it and as long as she was mm. worrying about it it probably wasn't going to happen and it just reminded me I had so many conversations back when COVID was first a thing with my friends who all have anxiety and how everyone was absolutely fine because as people with anxiety we weren't anxious about COVID because we were used to being anxious so this was just like Mm -hmm. "Mm." you already have this is just yeah you already have the mental strain going on you've just got a name for it like all of the germs that you were already afraid of are now just named COVID 100 percent yeah and so all your, all our normal friends, quote unquote normal friends, were suddenly freaking out about everything. And it's like, hey, this is how we live uh-huh. our lives all the time. Welcome to the fun show yep. where we're anxious and worried yep. all the time. I was kind of smug when I was like, oh, I've already prepared for all of the apocalyptic situations in my mind. Thank you. Because it's <laughs> that kind of place in there. I've been thinking this way my whole life. I have been prepared for this moment. Yeah, see, this is again why I was so smug about my nihilism yesterday at work and then realized everyone else was actually genuinely having a crisis. But I was just just a normal day for me. I forget I forget everyone is not as grim as I am. I like your grimness because I'm way too sunshiny. I'm a total brightsider and I think there needs to be some grimness to balance that out. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, I really loved how when Kath brought anything to her dad he was just like we'll figure it out we'll deal with it are you pregnant are you gay like he was like what are the worst things that could happen <laughs> and he like said them real stream of consciousness but he was so willing to engage and like he just wanted her to talk to him he's so open to it I really love that and I think that that's like the best part of parenting is just being present for your kids as much as you can and I think he really does mm. I love that they have a kind of relationship where she feels very comfortable talking to him as well. You know, they can have that conversation and it's just a safe space. I could not imagine having that kind of conversation with either of my parents at any point in my life, which is so sad, Mm -hmm. isn't it? I have definitely had conversations like that with my mom. Oh, yeah. I I still want my mom when I'm sick, but I don't know that I would be able to trust her with something like a life decision. (laughs) I make all of those without Fair my enough. parents yeah it just gives me so much hope that like there are amazing sensitive parents out there well you're definitely one so hey tick the box i definitely try um i also think it's really important that he is challenging her about her reasons she asks if giving up isn't allowed sometimes and she wants to know isn't it okay to say this really hurts so i'm going to stop trying and he immediately says but it sets a dangerous precedent for avoiding life and he's right and 
I think there's a lot. I mean, so much of the story is about is Kath going to be able to grow up? Like, is she going to let herself grow? Um, and he's really pushing back on this idea that she's avoiding pain and saying, but you're actually avoiding like this necessary part of growing up. And it is hard to grow up and it is really hard, especially when you're like leaving home. Everything is terrible. Even if it's great, it's terrible because you're doing all of these new things. Mm-hmm. So you're just so exhausted. I was reading this book this week called The Power of Habit and um, I found it really fascinating for a lot of things. But one thing that really stuck with me was that they did this study on willpower And so they had a bowl of cookies. They made everyone do a puzzle. And that was actually the experiment. And the puzzle was impossible to solve. But the people who were like, didn't have to worry about their willpower because they had eaten the cookies, um, were able to stick with the puzzle for like 20 minutes. But the people who had not eaten the cookies because they had already used up some of their willpower got more frustrated and were really Mm. angry and like lasted an average of eight minutes or something. Which is to say that you do use willpower all of the time and like you have a certain amount and like if the cup is empty, the cup is empty. And I was thinking about this in terms of Kath and like she's been kind of powering through in a lot of ways, but she just Mm. feels so unable to keep going at this moment. She is not open to the possibility that she can continue because she's like run out of the resources. Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you about that as well, because when is it okay to give up? Because I'm a big fan of giving up. Not in a way that you shouldn't push Mm. yourself and shouldn't try new things and shouldn't push through that initial discomfort. But if something is genuinely hurting you, it's okay to give up. Like I thought about, you know, Simone Biles at the Olympics just the past couple of weeks, you know, she didn't give up. She just made a decision where she was like, this isn't in my best interest. And people view that as giving up. But... There's strength in that as well. Well, she could have gotten really badly injured if she had kept going. Absolutely. But also, you know, saying this is hurting me, this is like damaging my mental health and I don't want to do this anymore is a very valid thing. Absolutely. But I also don't think she's exhausted all of the resources at her disposal to feel better, to get better. No, it's very much I'm going to stick my head under the duvet and not talk to anyone, right? So this is not like I have done everything and could give up. This is, I've encountered a setback and I'm feeling really frustrated and I haven't been able to get through it until this point. The fact that Kath can't trust anyone, doesn't trust anyone. Well, she says this about herself, but I don't think it's true. And I can talk about mm. that later if you'd like. But this is something she believes about herself is that she's unable to trust anyone. And because of that, she doesn't open up. So she doesn't have that like ability to sort of go, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, blah, which she does with her dad. Yeah. And then after that, and he says, look, I really need you to try for me. She tries. She does that because she doesn't want to let him down. And I think she allows herself to be convinced there because she actually knows that she needs to be convinced. And we kind of see this with Professor Piper, right? She fills the same role as the dad where she is sort of just saying to her, I just need you to try, right? God, that was a hard conversation and such a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, lots of openness in that conversation as well. I found it very satisfying. I I love how she saw her and like stood up and was like, come in. I wondered where you went. Come in, come in. She was like opening and welcoming her, like receiving her into her office. Like, come in, come in, come talk to me, which was really beautiful. And also, I love that she is clever enough to pick Kath's writing out of Nick's work, which I thought was an incredibly roundabout Mm. way of saying, like, I noticed you were helping this guy, but like, I'm not going to ping either of you for plagiarism because I think that Kath thought I'm done for if she admitted it. Like she actually had to like think about whether she was going to admit it or not. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when she makes that remark saying that Nick's style had changed quite a bit, which is obviously Kath's influence. And because she is so invested Mm. in Kath and think Kath's such a great writer because she recognizes her characters, she could see that in Nick's work because, yeah, 
you know, you do recognize people's writing. I just thought that was beautiful openness from Professor Piper as well. You know, she like really forces Kath to interrogate why she doesn't want to write. And, you know, she says on page 276, when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like swimming upstream or falling down a cliff and grabbing at branches, trying to invent the branches (laughs) as I fall. And Professor Piper is like, yes, that's what writing is. And I think it's such a good conversation about the writing process because often I think we feel as writers, you think that if it's hard, then you're not good at it. But a lot of the time it is hard and it is a lot of work. It's very rare when it's like that mythical space where the words just come out of you, right? If we care about it, it'll be hard because we're trying our best. Like writing isn't hard because we're bad at it. Writing is hard because we're good at it and we want to be good at it. I don't don't know how else to say it, but like you don't slap paint on a canvas and go, okay, it's artwork. Like if you care about it, you spend the time and you try to make it look the way you want it to look. Like however your brain or your soul or whatever sees it, you want to make it like that. The parts of writing that are hardest for me are the feeling that it didn't come out the way I imagined it. Like there's that discrepancy there. Mm. I don't know. I have a lot to say about writing. (laughs) obviously. Um, But I think Kath's not really understanding what it feels Mm -hmm. like to write original characters, but Professor Piper's still seeing that and being really open. She's really candid about how she's afraid that she's not going to get the opportunity to see more from Kath, which is so beautiful. Yeah, what I struggle with with Kath and her insistence that, you know, fan fiction is what she writes and that's what she's good at. And Professor Piper says, I'm sure you are. I don't know why Kath can't see that it's not it's not the fact that it's the world, like yeah. you're living in the world of majors. It's the emotion you convey that makes your work. Yeah. That is not tied to the characters or the world. That is something that's innate within you. There's no reason you can't apply that emotion to new characters. But she just can't seem to divorce those two things. It's like she doesn't think she can write anything except Simon yeah. and Baz. But Which is wild yeah. to me because I can't imagine playing with anyone else's characters ever. I really struggle with this insistence of cats that she can only write fan fiction. She's so tied up with that, though, right? Like, that's so much of her identity. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about the metaphor of the insidious humdrum Mm -hmm. in the Simon Snow series that Kath reads. Because it presents as a child. And there's that line on page 255 in the meta that we see that it says, Do you think that power comes without sacrifice? Do you think you could become you without leaving something, without leaving me behind? And I saw that as such a metaphor for kind of Kath and Ren and how they're approaching Simon Snow. Because Ren is like, I need to leave this behind me if I'm going to grow up. And Kath is insisting that she cannot be anything other than this person who writes fan fiction. And I'm just like, you guys need to do some inner child work. That's what I'm saying here. Yep, 100%. That begs a really interesting question of people who assume that once you grow up, you have to get rid of all the fandom things and not love things anymore versus, you know, Kath mm-hmm. who's like holding on to it with all 10 fingers and all 10 toes because she's too afraid to let go of it a little bit. Mm. And I think Maybe you can find somewhere in between. I'm still quite fanish about stuff, but I definitely didn't always like embrace that part of myself, you know? I think it's just the confidence of identity, right? It's knowing who you are and being confident in who you are. I remember when one of my friends got married and moved in with her partner, husband, and he had a lot of Star Trek things, like fandom things, and she told him that he couldn't have it in the living room or wherever it was. And I just remember being very stunned by this. I was only like 24 at the time, but I was like, oh, so when you're an adult, you can't have 
fandom stuff around and I just remembered being like mortified because I'm like does that mean I'll never be an like am I not an adult because I've got all my Harry Potter stuff but you know I'm sitting at my desk now I've got four house banners up in front of me I've got loads of fandom stuff and it actually blends in really well with the rest of my house like I'm still an adult I'm very comfortable and capable with all of that but yeah I still wear my fandom shirts and I've sometimes I still wear suits I contain multitudes Mm. I'm not one or the other but I'm very comfortable in my fanish identity and I think that's the thing where Kath and Ren they don't know how to make that part of who they are properly. I agree. Ren doesn't know how to grow up without leaving Simon Snow behind and Kath doesn't want to leave Simon Snow behind. She doesn't let herself be open to change, which is really what it comes down to, right? She's decided she can't be anything else, so she's not open to it. Mm. She's decided she's going to get a D in this class and she's also wrongly ascribed it to all of the things that happened in the last semester. I kind of loved how she said to Professor Piper, um, how many writers make money writing anyway? And then she's like, I'll just find another job. And as someone who is currently working full time and have so much creative energy, it's really hard to balance your full time job with creative projects. I'm just going to put it out there. So that's very optimistic from you, Kath. Look, like the fact that I have two school aged kids who regularly go to, well, not during lockdown, but they go to school and I have like sort of four hours a day to myself, quote, that actually (laughs) has been the best and most productive time that I've had in my adult life because I'm not working. I'm still doing all of the house and kid things, but like I'm finally at a point where I can do that. And the only reason I can is because we're financially comfortable enough to do that. And my husband does work. The truth of it is it's really hard to support yourself and have a creative Mm. life because capitalism is terrible. The world is terrible. Yeah, and even getting published does not guarantee that you can quit your job. So many authors have full-time jobs while still being published. Like, I don't, there's not, she's not wrong. There isn't money to be made with writing, but that's not why we write. I think a lot about Emily of New Moon, written by Ellen Montgomery, who's one of my favorite authors. And she wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and it was so foundational to her. And then in the third book, she has a really terrible accident and she nearly dies. And after that, it's like the spark has been blown out. And she doesn't write anymore. And she acts as if it's this thing she's put behind her. Mm-hmm. And everyone in her life who kind of derided her writing and was like, oh, you can't do anything with that. was like, but are you sure? Like, you've always been very passionate about this since you were like 11 years old. And she's like, no, no, I'm done. And I won't spoil it for you because I plan to bully you into reading the book someday. But it's a really interesting treatise on how like trauma can affect you. And mm-hmm. also how you can't exactly put away the things that are foundational to your identity. But sometimes finding a way to make them fit is actually what you want to be doing instead. Yeah, we actually see that both sides of that with Kat and Ren. Like, Ren has decided this foundational part of her identity, which is Simon Snow. She's just going to cut it off cold turkey and be like, I'm above all that. And Kath is gone. I'm yeah. going to latch onto it because I can't let it change because it means so much to me. But really, you should just evolve along with the thing that you love, which oh, yeah. you can do, which all of us mm-hmm. Harry Potter fans have done. I still get the joy of bringing Harry Potter things to the people that I love. So, you know, reading book one with my daughter at the moment. And um, then I got to show Pop- Potter's Puppet Pals to my husband this morning. He had never seen it. He had no no concept of it. And I was like, oh, you don't have the context for this. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he was like, that was a wild ride. Well, I was delighting everyone at work. I say delighting in inverted commas because we were talking about being spies and if I was a spy I was like I my spy name would be Runal Wasley <laughs> I was really doubling down on it and my friend was like mm, I feel like that would be a dead giveaway that you were actually a spy but no I'm committed <laughs> oh my gosh Dumb. um so we talked a little bit about Levi being open with Kath but Kath was really open with Levi at the end of that conversation where she's like 
I'm not good at this. This is not going to work out for you. Um, You're Mm -hmm. like, I don't trust anybody. I'm convinced everybody that I care about is going to get tired of me and leave. Like she's, she lays it on the line for him. I was just really blown away by that because she's telling him this like, all right, I have, it's the ethical Mm. and responsible thing to warn this guy off. Yeah. Of me because I'm a, a mess. But he's just like, no, I don't have to know. I'm rooting for you. Um, I also loved when she was saying to him that we've got nothing in common and he said, we like each other. Isn't that all you need? And I just love that. He's so chill about everything, which you really need because mm-hmm. Kath is so amped up. So I think they do, you know, they balance each other out, which is really nice. I, I just need to say that that's really important that he says, I, I talked to you and I just kept wanting to talk to you more because when you're in a relationship with someone, I really do think that they need to be your friend as well mm. as, like, your partner. Mm. Maybe this is just me, but, like, I really am not interested in ever the idea of dating someone that I'm not really good friends with anyway. Because I'm going to be with that person all the time. They'd better be, like, top-tier BFF material. Because I'm going to be with them all the time. They're going to see all of the ugly, warty bits of me. I want to be able to trust them as a friend. I agree, and I think... What Levi says is right. You know, he's like, Mm. we talk all the time. And that is the more important thing. Because you can have superficial things in common. You can both like the same movie or the same book or whatever. But that only takes you so far. If you can have a conversation about anything and just sort of, you know, hold that conversation and it spawns into more conversation and it's all just organic. That does feel more important to me as well. Because that's what sustains the relationship. Yeah, the willingness to continue to engage and connect. Yeah, that's it. And she already engages on stuff with him she listens to his discussions about range management and she bought Ren the alpaca mittens that Levi was going on and on about like it's she's paying attention and he pays attention too he listens to her fan fiction that is I'm sorry and I love when he said it makes you easier because it relaxes her and he's already seen that she is more comfortable in this world and so he likes to listen to her talk about this thing that she loves and how valuable is that as well to have someone who's not going to shame you he's not going to try and change you but it's just going to like unapologetically listen to you talk about the thing that you love like it warms my heart I just I can't cope with it (laughs) and I love how nervous he is he's he shows up at her door and he knows he's not supposed to be there because Regan has definitely told him not to be there And he's like, I just need to tell you something. It's okay if you tell me outside. Like, I don't have to come in. I just need to tell you this one thing. It wasn't just a kiss. Like, he's already, like, he's ready to accept whatever she says the boundary is. But he needed to tell her this one thing, which I thought was really courageous. Because it's the right thing to do because she didn't have all the information and he hadn't been truthful. Um, But I think if she just said, no, you have to leave now, he would have gone. So I, I just, I love Levi. Guys, Levi's the best. He's the best. Oh, and it's, it's not even just empty platitudes with him either. Like, he genuinely engages with the things that she tells him and he remembers. And when she reads him fan fiction, he has his own commentary about things because he's seen the films. And Vampires, just, he oh, says smugly. Flammable. <laughs> which the whole Baz being flammable thing is one of my favorite things about Carry On. So, and everyone's obsessed with telling him that he's flammable and it just gives me life. But we. Let's not open that can of worms because I'll have a breakdown and talk about that for 20 minutes. <laughs> well, we'll have more than 20 minutes of talking about Carry On when we actually do the whole series, which we are planning to do. You're not prepared, Jay. You're not prepared. <laughs> Listen, we are going to commit 30 hours of recorded content, and that's what we published because I usually cut out quite a bit more. So we are, we are going to put 30 hours of Carry On content into the world. 
and that's not even what we're going to talk about. So, like, that will be that will be the like nuts and bolts of it. I am prepared. Gosh. <clears throat> okay, I'll try and work on my um, emotional regulation. <laughs> um, did you have any more bits of openness? Um, let me check. Yeah, I made the note that I love just Regan. I loved how open Regan was about Levi. Like, she calls Kath to ask about the couch, and then she's just straight up saying, you know, he's not going to be in our room anymore. And Kath says it's okay that, you know, she tries to minimize the situation, and Regan just says, I know it's okay. I'm just saying that's the way it's going to be. And I love her enforcing that boundary. Like, she is just so Mm. clear and concise and just communicates, and I just love that for her. I love her so much. And I actually went and looked up a bunch of Kathleen Turner's older work on YouTube because I wanted to hear what she sounded like. Because she does have a really distinct voice, but I thought maybe that was like a older Kathleen Turner thing. But she's got mm-hmm. that real husky voice even as a youth. So I was like, oh, that's what Regan sounds like. I love it. Um, And I also love that Kath kind of waits up for Regan to come home after that conversation with Levi so mm. she can tell her that they might have a da- date and she wants to make sure that it's okay. So good. And Regan, she says... Is it okay with you? And I love that. Like, I love that she's checking. I think that Kath says she doesn't trust anybody, but she actually trusts Regan a lot. Because Regan is just too straight a shooter to, like, do anything outside of being who she is. Like, she's she declares what she's going to do, and then she does it. There's Mm. no wishy-washy. There's no backstabby nonsense. Like, she doesn't Mm -hmm. put up with crap. She doesn't let Kath get away with being, like, self-deprecating. And she also lets Kath be Kath. So when they were having the conversation about Ugg Boots, and Kath was like kind of like that we can still enjoy Ugg Boots in Nebraska. She was just like, you're a weirdo. I kind of missed you. Um, I just want to make a note that in the margins I wrote, hi, Jen, when she said, I find Ugg Boots really comforting. I'm wearing mine right now. <laughs> Thank you. They are so good. It's such a you thing. I'm like, oh, cute. I am constantly tarred and sweatered. I want to wear all of the things that are layered and comfortable. Ugg appreciation. Merino everything. It's best. Um, did you have any other openness for Regan or otherwise? Oh, I think I talked about all of it. Look, I really love that her dad was kind of letting her, like her dad was really welcoming to her. Like he really wanted her to talk to him. And I thought that that was really beautiful. Of course, I expect that of Art Avery. He's amazing. He gets the Art Avery Award for Awesome Parenting every chapter because he's amazing. Um, I did think there was a lack of openness that Kath, like she just wasn't expecting the professor mm. to push back. And I did think that that was kind of worth noting. She doesn't want to say no to someone who she knows likes her. Mm. And in the same way that she was able to, like, weaponize her anxiety or, like, utilize her anxiety to get her through the process of not letting her dad down, because that would be worse than going back to school would be. I think that Professor Piper is intuitive enough to be like, okay, so I can see that I am going to have to wear her down and press my advantage. And I just keep thinking she's got this mm. foot in the door and she's just, like, wiggling it back and forth to get in. But I actually wonder, like, in my mind, I see them having a mentor-mentee relationship yeah. for years because... She's really pushed to break through and get Kath to open up to her, which I love. So, And not only that, she gives her time. like She gives her the whole semester to turn in this yeah. piece of work. And I loved when she said, I'm the god of this small thing. Like, she, I love her. She's great. But, you know, she doesn't say to Kath, you have to return it in next week. She doesn't put that pressure on her. She gives her the time because yeah. she sees the value and the potential in Kath. I think good writing teachers are incredibly important. So if you're out there teaching writing, thanks. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Oh, I have some things about Levi's identity. Oh, yeah. Go on. Because I thought, like, we talk a lot about Kath's identity because this is mainly Kath's book. But I think Levi had a real crisis of identity when he realized he'd been a real jerk. Like, his entire premise was winning Kath over on the strength of being the guy who's the great guy. And he actually got caught out in a moment of not being a great guy. And he 
he really had to think about that for a while. And I'm really proud of him for kind of getting through that. Yeah. And that's sort of that crisis was what kind of pushed him to say to her that it didn't matter, right? Because he couldn't reconcile Mm. the fact that he had done this thing. And if it had mattered, then obviously he wouldn't be a good guy. And so he tried to retroactively justify his behavior. And then he realized, oh, no, I was actually just a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, well done, Levi, for being the kind of person who can understand his own identity and cop to when he makes a mistake. I still think he's a pretty great guy. I think so, too. And Kath really does. And she was all over that sweater of his. Um, I thought it was interesting when Regan said he always chooses difficult women, basically. Because she includes herself <laughs> in that as well. Mm, yeah, she's... I-, I love their relationship as it stands. Like, I love that he can be honest about how... Like, he was really candid and he said, I was desperately in love with her. But then we moved here and we weren't the only two dateable people in the world. And, you know, and then Kat's like, oh, and Regan said she cheated on you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Which is so true because, like, anybody, he would, of course, put a, like, positive spin on it because he's Levi and he's a bright sider. I understand him. Mm -hmm. I am him. But, yeah, I love that he was just so, like, yeah, of course I was in love with her. I was desperately in love with her. But that was also a really long time ago, so. Yeah. I love that they're friends again and I love their friendship so much. Me too. They're delightful. Well, did you have any in-depth marginalia? Okay. Um, So I want to talk about the bit on page 272. Where she's 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 gotten her grades back and she's gotten this incomplete and she had already kind of figured she would fail or at least get like a really bad grade in that fiction writing class. So on page 272 it says, Kath was okay with that. She'd made peace with that D. It was the price she decided to pay for last semester, for Nick, for Levi, and plagiarism. It was the price for learning that she didn't want to write books about the decline and desolation in rural America. Kath was ready to take her D and move on. Um, this is me saying it and I can write 10,000 word short stories, like, no problem. So I don't think it's that hard of an assignment. She's completely willing to give up on it, though, to jettison this difficult class. And she's balled this class up with all of these negative experiences. So I think by, like, accepting this failure, she's maybe turning it into to something that it isn't. She's doing something I do, which is like, oh, if only I hadn't like done this, then all of these other things wouldn't have happened. So basically, it's this terrible idea of confirmation bias. <laughs> like, if you think everything will be terrible, it will be terrible. So Levi caring about her a lot, but still kissing someone else, that's not actually Kath's fault. It's not a failure on Kath's part. Like, she didn't know he was going to hurt her because he had never indicated that he would. He does eventually front up to it and talk about why that happened, and they kind of get through it, which is fine. Um, Nick stealing from her was, like, a little bit easier to see coming, but he still is responsible for his Mm -hmm. actions, right? Like, he is still the one who did that. But, like, she was also right about the fact that they had this magic third thing. The work between them was so important and essential that even he recognized its goodness. He just was taking advantage of it. And, look, I think that maybe she doesn't want to write about the decline and desolation of rural America, but there will be something else that she will find that will make her heart sing and I just don't think she's looking for it hard enough she just needs to keep working on finding it yeah yeah so the, like the text I'm linking it back to is the idea of confirmation bias where if we decide this thing is because of this then it will be and I'm just going to remind myself that like there is no design sometimes things are great and sometimes things are bad and like it's okay to experience them without rationalizing them away or accepting that the D is because of a boy who took advantage of you and another one who is currently trying to unbreak your heart like they're not related there's not a price you pay like also so just go see the <laughs> yeah that, that's my that's my in-depth marginalia how about you did you have any in-depth marginalia i had three that i had to choose between this week oh so tricky isn't it it is really tricky but i think the one that i'm gonna go for is on page 276 and it's when kath has gone to mm. see professor piper and they're having the conversation and kath is explaining to her why she doesn't like writing her original fiction and professor piper says to her do you hate it or are you just afraid and i 
love this line because I think, again, it's really openness on Professor Piper's part. She really wants Kath to understand her own motivations, but she also wants to understand. Mm. I really relate to this because often when I say I hate things or often when I don't want to do things or I try to get out of things, it is because I'm either afraid or I don't want to risk failure, right? That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of failing. So Mm. I don't want to do the thing. And then you just build up this whole story in your head and you're like, it's stupid anyway and I hate it and I'm not going to do it. But that's not actually what it's about. And I don't know why, but it reminds me a little bit of I'm sorry everyone Harry Potter (laughs) (laughs) listen we accept and acknowledge our love for Hazpots in this community no when he's learning occlumency from Snape and he is so Mm. bad at it because he doesn't try like I don't think Harry is necessarily bad at occlumency he's just got no interest in learning it from Snape right he doesn't trust Snape's intentions he doesn't trust his ability and so he goes into this whole thing where he hates it and he doesn't try and he doesn't do anything with it and ultimately some pretty dire terrible consequences as a result of that behavior yep and yeah I just think when I immediately have a knee-jerk reaction where I go, oh, that's stupid or I hate it, I need to pause and just really reflect on, okay, do I genuinely not like it? Or is it exposing a vulnerability in me that I don't like? Is it showing that soft, fleshy part of myself that I don't want to engage with, that I'm afraid of, that I'm yeah. afraid someone else is going to hurt me? You know, oh, yeah. I just need to like actually interrogate it because it's easy to just go, meh, I hate it. And it's harder to be open to possibilities. There's a moment in community where Jeff is right about something and he says, I don't want to say I told you so, so I'll shout it through cupped hands. I told you so. <laughs> and I think I do that with myself a lot where I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I kind of knew it wouldn't be. It wasn't that bad. Like I'm constantly reminding myself, shouting through <laughs> cupped hands that like you just have to go and do the thing sometimes. Yeah. I had that this week with this project that I've been procrastinating on. And even while I was procrastinating on the project, I'm like, you know what's going to happen? You're going to finish it and you're going to be like, that was not bad because this is what happens every time. And I have this conversation in my head with myself where I'm like why are you having this conversation instead of just doing the work you know it's not going to be hard but no now we're arguing with ourselves and then I finished it on Friday and sent it off my manager came back and he was like oh thanks that's really great like really appreciate you doing that and like why did it take me two weeks it did not take me and the stress I experienced sitting on it when I could just have done it Mm. and then I was like see I told you so told you so self I have definitely, definitely been there. I will shout it through cupped hands. Infuriating. But that's okay. You got it done and I'm really proud of you. How much time I could have saved. Anyway. But maybe next time it'll only be one week or a couple of days. Like you just, you'll you'll get to that realization sooner and sooner. Look, I always put off things. I'm much better at not putting off things now because... I don't want to do this later, but I can do it now. I guess it's also just the classic of this where I'm like, I hate doing this. I'm not interested in the subject. And so therefore I, d- I just put off doing it. But it's actually just, just do mm. it. Just do it. That is what I've learned. You can yeah. do it. And I'm proud of you for doing it. Thank you. Plus you get house points for doing it. As an adult, that's how I motivate myself. That's normal, isn't it? That's all right. I'll show you what I used to motivate myself. Because I got a parcel in the post this week from Bethany. Yay. Oh, Reese's Pieces. Good job. Do you hear this crinkle? That is six bags of Reese's eggs. Which I assume... My very favorite candy. ...is filled with peanut butter. This is a perfect ratio. It's more peanut buttery than a peanut butter cup and not as much chocolate. And they're still like the two bites. So it's like a really nice treat. So I've been having like one or two every day. Good work. Just as a little treat. (laughs) Thanks, Bethany. Cute. So... Anyway, there's that. Um, Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight this I'm going to spotlight Levi because I really loved him turning up and taking accountability for his behavior and trying to make amends and not in a way that put Kath on the spot 
where she had to forgive him just in a way that he wanted to justify his behavior and make amends for them and I just think it shows such emotional maturity and not only that he genuinely cares about the things that she cares about and I cannot stress enough how much that thrills me like I just love it so much I love him so much he is the perfect man (laughs) Yeah, and it's even worse when you know that it's Tom Felton's face and head and hair. It's worse because he's actually so lovely in real life, too. He seems really Mm. lovely. So knowing that Levi is based on Tom Felton just ruined my entire view. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And it made me sad because if Nick is based on Dan Rad and Dan Rad is still so, like, charmingly offbeat, like, what? What? I can't have him be a villain. But Look, I also love Nick that. is never going to be singing She's Coming Around the Mountain, so let's just park that. <laughs> that is the best video. I made Simon watch it, and I'm like, you need to see this immediately. And he was just like, what did I just see? Like, the best thing you've ever seen in your life, buddy. I honestly was minding my own business, and that <laughs> popped up on Twitter, and I was taken by complete surprise. Mm, I've never recovered. Mm. I'll have to watch that show yeah, at some point. Get hold of it somehow. Um, I think this week I'm going to spotlight Ren, and the reason I'm going to spotlight Ren is because otherwise I would have spotlit Art, and it's, I just love him so much, everybody knows how much I love him, but I think Ren needs it. I think Ren tried. I think she understands where Kath is coming from, and was trying to reach out, and was trying to, like, be there for her sister, and got horribly Mm. shut down, and, like... Kath had every justifiable reason to do that, but it still hurt because I've definitely been in the position where you're in a bad friendship or you're like in a fight with someone and you like take the olive branch and you're like, I've been really crappy, but I want to be better here. I'm offering this to you. And then bam, nothing like it's, it's just really frustrating. And I think that Ren was actually coming to the point where she realized that like what was going on was not Mm. tenable and she wanted to talk to Kath about it. Maybe not understanding what a bad time Kath had been having truly because I kind of feel like maybe Art read her the riot act a bit. I still feel like she was offering an olive branch and Kath basically like burned it down. So just a little spotlight for Ren. Like I think she's trying to do the right thing and sometimes it does not work out the way we want it to. But um, I'm proud of her for trying because she has not been in the greatest yeah. place either. Yeah, trying definitely is important. Mm, for real. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 25 to 28 through the theme of kindness. Oh, that'll be nice. I'm excited. I like kindness. It's one of my faves. Thank you so much for potting with me today. It has totally cheered me up. Well, I'm glad. And thank you always because you are so smart and I love hearing from you. No, you're smart and I love hearing from you. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll see you next week. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.